At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. It's no secret that Food 52 loves genius recipes. If I were handed a story that began that way, as an editor, I'd cut it. It's a little lazy and declarative. It's also overused so it can feel insincere. But here it's not. It's one of the most appropriate ways to start a podcast about Kristen McGlory and the Genius Recipes column. She's been uncovering these recipes for five years in a James Beard-nominated column. She's turned them into a book and fed the test to our team over and over again. We love them. Everybody knows it. What you might not know is what it takes to declare a recipe genius, or where Kristen finds them, how she tests them, or the ones that have a life of their own. I'm Kenzie Wilbur, this is Burnt Toast, and today, Genius Recipes Kristen McGlory, and full disclosure, my friend and colleague for the past four years, tells us all of it. And just a quick note before we dive in. We mentioned a lot of recipes in this episode. We hope you'll take the techniques we describe and apply them at will to other recipes, but for the full list, head to the site. I'll post all the links there. Okay, so let's back up and talk about, for people who don't know and aren't uh, avid followers of the column on Food52, uh, what, what is a genius recipe? So the simplest definition is just that it's a recipe that will change the way you cook, and that's actually the subtitle of the book. Um, title being Genius Recipes, and then subtitle 100 Recipes That Will Change the Way You Cook. And the point of that is that the recipe itself is not necessarily totally flawless or um, foolproof or any of those words, but there's some technique in it that will make your cooking easier, better, more delicious. And they also come from geniuses directly. So they're all from food luminaries, cookbook authors, uh, bloggers, chefs, people who have been working in food for a really long time. And we have decided to call them genius. So they're all, it's a collection of recipes from other people. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, well, I want to dig into the easy mm -hmm. um, right now, because I feel like a lot of people, uh, maybe my mother included, mm -hmm. think that genius recipes means that it must be easier and faster than the other method of doing something. And that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is actually funny when people will introduce me or the book, they'll, they'll say, oh, she writes about genius recipes. Are these quick and easy recipes that like, you know, you can get your pancakes on the table in 20 minutes or less or whatever. And that's not exactly what it is. A lot of times it involves a shortcut just because that's like that in itself. It can be surprising and, you know, to realize that you don't have to always do this thing that everyone always told you you had to do. So because I believe in journalism, I fact checked myself here. And I was wrong. Here's my mom's definition of a genius recipe, which doesn't include the word easy, but is another way to look at the category as a whole. A genius recipe is a recipe you'd make for guests knowing it will be wonderful. 
in some cases, w- there are recipes that actually take quite a bit longer, or there'll be a different kind of, um, you'll just use your time differently. Like you'll spend a little bit more time up front in order to spend less time later. So for example, like vodka pasta, you might think it's just going to be like tomato, vodka, onion, garlic, um, cream in a pan, quickly throw it with some pasta, like it'll be a quick dinner. But the recipe that I ended up featuring was um, one through Ina Garten, and it roasts that sauce, that basic sauce, in the oven for two hours. So it's not quick and easy. It's not a weeknight dinner that you can have when you get home from work, but it's so much better that it's well worth it. So whatever the, the trick is to the recipe, it's it's worth it. Yeah, and the the roasting is the genius part, right? Yes. So then what other sauces can you roast? Exactly. Like, and, and you address that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. I mean, basically any marinara-based, tomato-based sauce you can roast and it'll have much more intense flavors. But the vodka in particular... Um, it it like the more it has time to interact with the tomatoes, I think the better it tastes. I'm trying to think of my favorite genius recipe of all time, um, <laughs> and it might be the it might be Marcella sauce. Really? And in that sense, it's yeah, not the chicken. The, the chicken is the good. chicken. The cof- Well, oh gosh, <laughs> I have a lot of favorites. Um, roasting your chickens at 500 degrees brings me it brings me a lot of joy. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. So I realize we're speaking full-on genius right now. For those of you who aren't fluent, we're talking about Marcella Hazan's genius three-ingredient tomato sauce. It's tomatoes, onion, and butter, simmered until reduced. We're also talking about Barbara Kafka's roast chicken, which you roast at a temperature much higher than you'd expect for only 10 minutes per pound. Those two are really like kind of the ultimate examples that I give people, and they do both happen to be shortcuts. Although, like, Marcella sauce isn't super fast. It's not super fast, but it's fast compared to, like, a Sunday sauce. That's true. It, like, and, and also, it's a shortcut because it's so streamlined. You're not even chopping the onion. You're just taking the halved onion, simmering it with butter that you have not even, like, cut up or anything, and tomatoes in a pot for, what, 30 minutes, 20 minutes? And you get... Uh, like a super rich marinara sauce. I love the amount of butter in that sauce. It's almost a little beardsian. <laughs> yeah. so just throw it in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you find these recipes? I rely very heavily on the Food 52 community. They've, from the very get-go, been sending me tips, and I have a little thing at the bottom of every every article saying um, to send me your tips if you've you know, been cooking something for 20 years or if you've seen it on Twitter recently or heard about it at a dinner party, I want to hear about it. And just having that that like layer of community involvement means that I have to spend a lot less time searching. I can trust them that they think that it's worthwhile. And then I test it. And then basically, like, you know, if it works out well for me, then it, it advances, I guess, <laughs> in the the genius gauntlet. But that's actually a good point that you're getting you're getting these recipes from 
I mean, I'm sure you're running a lot of them on your own. You're getting a lot of recommendations from the community. And that means that they're not necessarily undiscovered. Mm -hmm. So you've covered a good bit of recipes that have already been written about. So So why cover them again? That's actually one of my favorite parts about the column is that I could write about something that was popular last week or three months ago or 30 years ago, or maybe it was completely undiscovered. And it's kind of fun to bounce back and forth between those each week because even on the ones where you might think that everyone's already heard about Jamie Oliver's chicken and milk or whatever, like that it's not news really, those are actually maybe some of the more fun ones to post about because then everyone in the, in the comments section has an opinion and an experience with it or, you know, they've been cooking it for however long or maybe it didn't work for them and, like, that conversation gets going. So I actually like to cycle those in sometimes, which wasn't something that I realized at the beginning. People always want to talk about it. Yeah. People always will want to talk about one-ingredient banana ice cream. Yes. And those are some of the ones that I love a lot, too. Those quirky like other world ones like that was a raw food blogger trick for a long time yeah um and the sweet potato slaw like Mm -hmm. raw food bloggers and you sort of find them in these weird nooks and pluck them out and like feed them to a wider audience yeah you know sometimes those like those communities that have these you know self-imposed or not limitations end up discovering something new that an ingredient can do because they don't like have these assumptions already in place. So, you know, everybody thinks that sweet potato is poisonous if you eat it raw. And that's only true if you eat a whole lot of it and like nothing else pretty much and no other protein. Um, But like in other parts of the world, people eat raw sweet potatoes all the time. And it takes something like a raw food community to realize actually how delicious it can be. Let's back all the way up. What was the first genius recipe that you ever posted? It was River Cafe's strawberry sorbet, which really it's bizarre that lemon isn't in the title because there's three ingredients and it's strawberries, sugar, and lemon. And the lemon is basically whole. Um, You chop it up. You just get rid of the seeds. That's it. But the rest of it all goes into the food processor with the strawberries and the sugar. And they kind of make this like tart, creamy, slushy bright pink substance that you can then churn and it turns into this really good sorbet. And then you can, you know, depending on if your strawberries are super ripe or not or how big your lemon is, you can adjust to taste. But it's really good and it's also really, really actually, I hate to use the word foolproof, but truly, like I've taught it in classes and every different student's batch comes out this, you know, not the same, but really good. And, you know, they've adjusted it to their taste. It's so much better than it should be. Mm-hmm. And the, the rind makes... Um, it's, again, one of these ingredients that people think, like, you should just banish from your cooking. But it both adds bitterness to kind of balance out the sweetness, but also makes it creamy in a, in a kind of bizarre way. So since that since that recipe five years ago, the mission obviously hasn't changed much um, of the column. But are you changing how you're testing things or writing about them or thinking about them? I'd say the biggest change over the years is that I, in the beginning, I really thought we were going to run out of ideas or run out of steam. You know, we would do like all the iconic best, best, best versions of things and we'd just be done. Like we published the best roast chicken and we published the best ratatouille and then we would just kind of like, well, that's that's all the things <laughs> we eat. <laughs> that's it. We're done. Nowhere else to um, go. And then... <laughs> 
a couple years ago, I actually, speaking of Jamie Oliver's chicken and milk, I actually published two chickens cooked in milk within like three weeks of each other. And they were like, they might have been in a row. (laughs) They were they were not literally in a row, but they were within the same month. Yeah. And that's like, that's how far we had come. Like they, they actually, even though the kind of you know, they were both chicken cooked in milk, which sounds gross and is so wonderful and does this really amazing thing to chicken. But it sounds disgusting. <laughs> it it sounds like hot, like hot guacamole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quick bit of context. We just come from filming one of our April Fool's videos starring none other than hot guac. It's a video of Kristen showing us how to make a recipe that might actually be a little genius, too. Bacon guacamole chicken bombs from BuzzFeed Tasty. Hot guacamole. We were talking about on the way in here. Like, what are the foods that just sound disgusting and like you never want to eat? Like oven cooked milk, Mm -hmm. chicken, just like it's sitting in a bath of milk, which then curdles. Oh, yes. It's actually so glorious. Yes. Well, because the lactic acid in milk is tenderizing and then also and some fat is also kind of like protective. And so when you braise um, a lean protein in milk, uh, it's just a great technique. And so, yes, I wrote about it first. Um. Jamie Oliver's, and then um, Richard Olney's Chicken Gratin, which is, you know, it's got some other tricks to it. It's a little bit richer. It's got some cream and some cheese and some wine and, like, buttery, chickeny breadcrumbs. Yeah. And it's heaven on earth. It was, it's so good. And so, of course, I had to write about both of them. They they are very different experiences. And um, people went crazy for them. And they were, like, the top two posts of the year. So I like there is no one chicken and milk. You can talk about a different genius chicken and milk probably every week for a while and be okay <laughs> and be totally fine. Yeah. But is there is there a tip off when you know that a genius recipe is just going to do very well? I have a good feeling after doing it this long. Yes, I know that the the chocolate cakes and the chocolate chip cookies and the chickens and things like crispy potatoes, all those are going to obviously resonate with people, but there are surprises all the time. Like when I look back at the top 10 from last year, there were um, sautéed mushrooms cooked in pickle brine, which (laughs) apparently people had a hankering for. (laughs) And they didn't even know. They didn't even know they wanted the pickle mushrooms, but Stuart Brioza did. (laughs) That's the genius. Yes. Let's talk about the duds. Ooh, the duds. You know, I imagine for a lot of the genius recipes, you go into testing really wanting them to work. Are there ones that have just totally flopped? Oh, so so many. Um, but it's re- like I don't blame the recipe for that. It's I have a pretty – like I'm calling it genius. I have a pretty high bar for um, – it has to be both really, really good and really worth it. It has to be worth the time, the dishes, the – like, you know, hunting down the ingredients. It needs to kind of have a, a balance of cost-benefit to it. And even if they fail miserably, I don't. I still don't necessarily blame the recipe because it could be so many things. Yeah. And maybe it was a recipe that was popular 40 years ago and things have changed. Like mm-hmm. ingredients have changed. And also preference for how people like things yes. cooked. I was talking to um, Amanda, Amanda Hester, the founder of our company, about this um, and I about how an old recipe was calling for you to uh, boil a vegetable. I think it was broccoli for like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you do that, it turns to absolute mush. Mm -hmm. Like you just nothing. You can't all the flavors boiled out. It doesn't really it's nothing there anymore. Um, And it it could just be like people really like their vegetables cooked that way, Mm -hmm. you know, in in the turn of the century or whatever. So so that's another another factor with historic recipes. Mm hmm. 
You know, another thing that happens a lot is that people will say this is genius, but they don't tell me the changes they made. So I I am always testing it literally. And because I very rarely, I very rarely will make any changes to the recipe. So, you know, someone will tell me that that this like cubed roasted sweet potatoes in a skillet is really genius. And then I go to make it and I literally buy the sweet potatoes that are three pounds and I take out the eight inch skillet and then I try to put them all in the skillet and they do not fit. And then I go back to the person and let them know what happened. And they're like, oh, well, of course I like bumped it up to a big old baking sheet. What about the other way around? Recipes that just read too crazy to work. Um, I was just talking to Matt Sartwell um, for another episode, and he was saying that in the Smitten Kitchen cookbook, Deb has a slaw recipe and half of the dressing is water. And he was like, this sounds disgusting. It's sort of like a mixture of when you encounter these recipes, you're like either the copy editor wasn't doing their job or like this person is untrustworthy altogether. Um, And then you make it and you're like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. I'm going to put half I'm going to put half water in all my dressings. Mm -hmm. Well, I think rouse meatballs is one of those, right? Yes. Um, Or you just think, you know, you know, you you assume that, you know, best, (laughs) of course. And and so it's really easy to dismiss a recipe because of that. And um, that's kind of the fun thing about my job is that I get to I, I, I get paid to like ignore that feeling. Um, so yeah, uh, the meatballs are what two cups of water and mm-hmm. I think two cups of breadcrumbs and then kind of comparable amounts of uh, beef, pork and veal. And but you like you're just looking at this bowl of kind of like a normal amount of meatball and you have a, have a pint of water that's about to go in it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is this is going to be so dis- it's going to be like raw meat soup. And but then you once you pour it in, it hydrates the breadcrumbs and they lighten the mix and the meatballs are super tender. Yeah. And it, it takes a little while too to like you want like delicately work it in. But as you go, more of the water is absorbed by more of the bread. And you're like, oh, my God. It's like happening in front of your eyes. Mm, becoming a meat pillow. The meat soup is turning into a meat pillow. Yeah. And that's something and, you want to eat is the meat pillow. Instead. I don't know what I'm doing with my hands right now. <laughs> I'm making you're, the meatball you're doing motion. really soothing meat pillow <laughs> fluffing motion. Um, the cauliflower soup that you have on the side is another one because it's just cauliflower and water. Mm-hmm. And an onion. And, and an like onion. a tiny bit of olive oil to get it started. Right. And you would think that that would be just like the most... The, most bland like thin gruel of a soup but um and you know you people think that cauliflower soup needs cream or chicken broth or whatever um and actually what i discovered way after the fact was that cauliflower naturally has pectin in it which is the same thing that's in fruit when you make jam just kind of naturally occurs in some fruits and vegetables and that when you blend it thickens it naturally so it tastes very creamy but doesn't actually have any cream in it and yeah, that's another one that a, a Food 52 member sent to me. And um, I, just, I would never have been able to find it in a cookbook on my own. And it was another one where like it really hadn't been covered anywhere else. So uh, ha- having someone who was brave enough in the community to, to test it on their own and tell me that it had worked for them is, you know, it's now one of the most popular recipes on the site. Mm-hmm. The idea... Of a genius recipe being perfect is not totally correct. It doesn't mean that it's not flawed in any way, right? We were mm-hmm. talking about that earlier, how 
it doesn't mean that it can't be improved upon. It just means that there's one little specific point in the recipe that makes you think and changes the way that you cook. Mm-hmm. And actually, there have been cases, there's one really like notable case that always comes to mind where the recipe was genius and now it's not so much anymore. Um, the Anseron's rib roast of beef that one, oh gosh, I forget when it was published, but it was decades ago, and it came out perfectly. Basically, the technique is you take um, a prime rib. Depending on how many ribs you have in the roast, it prescribes a different amount of time for it to be seared at 500 degrees in the oven, and it has kind of this coat of flour and salt and pepper on the outside, so it gets this really great crust. And um, then you shut off the oven. You know, it's something like you'll, you'll roast it for like 12 minutes and then you shut off the oven and let it just finish kind of like coming down. And then so it gets this really great crust on the outside and then it cooks slowly through to the middle. And both times I tested it and then I put it up and people were starting to make it and starting to say that theirs was totally overcooked. And I felt horrible because rib roasts are really, really expensive. Yeah. And it turned out that um, some ovens these days are just so efficient, um, energy efficient. You know, they're like super insulated. And so they held onto the heat much more intensely than they did 40 years ago or whenever this recipe was first published. And so it's not really quite as genius as once was. Because of technology. Because technology in this case. changed. So does a genius recipe then have a lifespan or is it just more case by case? I think my like my warm and fuzzy heart would say no, they don't have a lifespan, but in, except for in extreme cases where the you know, the world kind of outpaces it. But even the river is just probably a really wonderful technique in new ovens, but it would just need to be if you can get the time right. If you can get the time right and you can like, you, you know, maybe it only takes two minutes and then it kind of hangs out for a while. But without being able to test in a bunch of different ovens, I wouldn't feel great about shoving it out into people's holiday tables again. <laughs> I'm sad thinking about them cutting into that roast. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> it actually happened to my family, too. We did it that oh, Christmas no. and I was so excited to show it off. Oh. And then we cut into it and it was like just medium well all the way through. Oh, yeah. I feel like you didn't have at least someone at the table who wanted it medium well. Yeah, my grandmother was fine. Yeah, I was just going to say my <laughs> grandfather would have been all over that. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you still on the hunt for? Um, so er- earlier this year, I put up a post that was like the 16 recipes I'm still searching for. And they were all my holy grails. And maybe they're holy grails because I just have this ideal in my head that it needs to achieve. Maybe they're holy grails just because they're kind of a lot of work and I don't always feel like I have time to test them. Like um, two, the two that are standing out in my mind are cinnamon rolls and lasagna. 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 Like how great would a genius lasagna be? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But maybe maybe you could find one that's genius because it doesn't kill you on time. If you're listening, <laughs> please you're holding send. Holding on to, to you know, a, a dusty cookbook with a really brilliant lasagna recipe. Please send it to Kristen at food52.com. Please send lasagna. <laughs> In case you didn't catch that, it's kristen.mcglory at food52.com. Send your genius tips and tell her why the recipe has changed the way you cook. The Food 52 editorial team is always on the hunt. You should join us. Like I said, we're disciples. To further prove that I wasn't just using hyperbole for the sake of rousing conversation, here are some more of us just to back me up. My favorite genius recipe and really the recipe that 
made it clear to me what was so incredible about this column um, is Diana Kennedy's carnitas, which is truly ridiculous because it basically takes pork and water and a little bit of salt um, and turns it into the very best taco filling you could ever dream of. Last year on Valentine's Day, a group of friends and I had a, like a Valentine's Day potluck and I brought the Maialino olive oil cake, which I had never made before. Um, and it disappeared, but I think that is really emulative of what uh, genius recipes are. They're just, they're recipes that you feel like you can trust completely and throw yourself into um, and serve to other people, even if you've only cooked them once. The thing that makes genius recipes genius is not, in my opinion, the actual recipes, as the name would suggest. The recipes are stellar, no doubt, but the genius parts are the little nuggets of knowledge within them that Kristen finds to share. I really love almost every vegetarian genius recipe I've ever tried. Um, I also love Alice Medrich's cocoa brownies. It's the only brownie recipe I make now. Marcella's sauce is the only tomato sauce I make. Uh, Jim Leahy's pizza dough is the only pizza dough I make. I made um, Yotam Odalenge's black pepper tofu, and I don't want to ever cook tofu in another way other than tossing it with cornstarch and frying it until golden brown and crispy and wonderfully chewy on the inside. I think Genius Recipes has really spoiled me because I expect every recipe I make to blow me away like the Genius Recipes do and I'm disappointed when recipes are good and not great. I think that Genius Recipes might be 90% of what I cook. Once you make one, you're totally hooked. Like, you only want to cook genius recipes from then on. Trust me, make any of them, the guacamole, the sorbet, you'll totally get it. And that's it for this episode of Burnt Toast. Like I said, I'll be gathering all of the recipes we mentioned today into a post. You can find them on Food52. Thanks to my producer, Kristen Meinzer, and also to Laura Mayer, Henry Malofsky, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. Our Twitter handle is at Food52, or you can leave us a review on iTunes, like Carlita029 did, who said our discussions were lovely. It was very nice of you, Carlita029. For Kristen McGlory and all of her devoted fans, I'm Kenzie Wilbur. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.